Our reading today comes from on page 1014, if you want to follow it. The first book of Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who is he? That's the first question we must ask today. Who is he? As we take a third step today into this glorious letter of First Peter here in, in chapter 2 and verses 4 through 10, uh, the very first words there in verse 4 remind us that, yes, we have already taken a couple of steps before this into this letter because it says, as you come to him. And we read that pronoun him and we have to think back to ourselves, well, well who is he? And we might then recall as we do that, that that already in this letter Peter has spoken of God and of Jesus. He has spoken of Lord and of Christ. And he has spoken of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So we hit this pronoun at the start of our text today and, and we've got to figure out exactly whom does Peter mean that we have come to. And if we cast our eyes backwards, as some of you already have started doing, the most obvious answer is, is obviously just before the pronoun, in verse 3, where Peter said, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so, presumably then, it's the Lord that we have come to now as we roll straight into verse 4. But again, I guess we might then ask, well, who does that refer to? Uh, in verse 3, uh, as it happens, Peter was quoting an Old Testament scripture from Psalm 34 and verse 8, which says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And in the Hebrew language that Psalm 34 was originally written in, uh, the Lord is written as Yahweh, the personal name for God. And so Peter was thinking there in verse 3 of the Lord God. And as he flows straight into verse 4 of our passage now, the hymn that we have come to is God himself, Yahweh the Lord. But so too, of course, though, if, if we think forwards from the pronoun, we find even more context that we need to factor into this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. 
So reading backwards and forwards, we have come to Yahweh God, verse 3, and at the same time we have come to someone who is in the sight of God and chosen by and precious to God, Peter says. So in some mysterious way, it is both God and yet someone seen by God that we have come to. So too, if you you let your eyes fall down to verse 6, Peter says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in uh, Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's another quote from the Old Testament. This one comes from the Old Testament scripture of Isaiah 28 and verse 16, where we read, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. God has laid this living stone that Peter is talking about in verse 4 as he had promised through Isaiah as he reflects on in verse 6. Again then, in verse 7 of the passage, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. More about the cornerstone, and this one is Old Testament scripture from Psalm 118 and verse 22. Verse 23 of that psalm goes straight on to say, this is the Lord's doing, it is marvellous in our eyes. The Lord as in Yahweh God, has done this, Psalm 118 is careful to say. Uh, And so the Old Testament scriptures that Peter is flagging for us there in in verses 6 and 7 tell us again that, that this stone is of the Lord's placing and the Lord's doing. And yet, verse 8, this stone is also a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. That one's from Isaiah again, but this time in Isaiah chapter 8, where we read in Isaiah 8 that the stone is God. Isaiah chapter 8, But the Lord of hosts, that is, Yahweh Almighty, Him you shall honour as holy, let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offence and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken." So these scriptures that Peter is quoting has promised these very two things about this living stone, that God would place the stone and that God would become the stone. And so packed into what Peter is saying here and what he means here in verse 4 at the start of our passage is that, is that we have both come to the living stone and come to the living God. From various New Testament scriptures, we, we recognise that this stone Peter is talking about is Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, Jesus of Nazareth himself self-identified as this stone, and, and so that's why his apostles later are proclaiming the same. 
just after the parable of the wicked tenants, if you know that parable in Scripture, and the beloved son that was sent to the wicked tenants. Uh, in Luke 20, for example, uh, Jesus quoted that same Scripture of Psalm 118 that Peter just quoted in verse 7, you know, about the, uh, the builders rejecting uh, the stone that becomes the cornerstone. Jesus quoted that too at the end of that parable of the wicked tenants to identify the son that was sent with the stone and by that parable to identify the son in the parable and the stone of scripture with himself. And right after quoting that verse from the psalm at the end of his parable, Jesus said in Luke 20, 18, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Invoking the same scripture from Isaiah chapter 8 that Peter also quoted here in our passage in verse 8. So what Peter is explaining to us here about this stone, uh, that is, about Jesus, is what Jesus himself explained to us too. That this stone of offence would be the very thing that determines where people stand with God. God is this stone and the stone is his son Jesus. And the stone was placed by God, and God became this stone for this very reason, to cause offence, to cause people to stumble, to cause people to be falling and broken by this stone. This is what had been declared by God of old in Scripture, and this is what Peter is now explaining has come in verses 6 through 8. You and I will stand or fall purely and simply on the basis of this cornerstone. It's not the first time Peter has said this, by the way. In Acts chapter 4, after healing a lame beggar at the temple gate, under the Jewish system at that time, of course, the lame man being excluded from ever having been able to go into the temple grounds. Anyway, healing that man and falling out of favour with the temple leaders and the religious leaders of the time for healing that man, Peter said to them all, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Architecturally, uh, the cornerstone is the one stone of consequence for the whole building. The foundation stone, the stone against which everything else is, is cut and sized and measured and aligned. The builders in this prophecy, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, had rejected this stone but thereby were rejecting God who had chosen this stone, verse 4, and laid it for this very reason that those who do not belong to God would be revealed. As Jesus had warned in Luke 20, and, and as, as Peter declared in, in Acts 4 before this, uh, he says it again, those who do not come to this one stone, Jesus, will not find salvation. Just in his letter now, he, he continues to say in verses 7 and 8, those who do not believe... 
those who do not believe in this one living, chosen, precious stone of God, those who do not believe, well, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. If people will not trust Jesus Christ and obey him, they will be crushed because the house that God is building will be founded on him. Which will hopefully now help us think through this passage in terms of of our series concept for this letter we're working through, the people of God. Look again through this text and see with me how in and around those scriptures about this stone, God is actually defining not just who aren't his people, but, but who are his people. Some will disobey and disbelieve and stumble and fall as they were destined to do, but others will believe in this stone, it says in verse 6, and they will find honour, it says here, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe. Some will come to believe in in what God has done in this stone. And those people, therefore, do belong to God. Which Peter jam-packs around those few verses in the middle about the cornerstone uh, on either side of it. First of all, in verse 5, where he explains, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All of that language there in that verse opens up and redefines the people of God. No longer is it ancient Israel that that have been chosen by God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of salvation from God unfolding to the ends of the earth. And uh, it is those who will come to this living stone, Jesus, uh, to believe in him and obey him, who are now the chosen people of God. Whether they were Jewish beforehand or not Jewish beforehand, or whatever their backstory might be, if they will come and believe in Jesus and obey him, they therefore are the people of God. We are being built up as a spiritual house, brothers and sisters. To be a holy priesthood, this is clarifying and expanding language. It it redefines the people of God. Formerly it was Israel that had been set aside as a nation of priests to God. Formerly it was Israel given a spiritual house in which to worship God. But now it is us, Peter says, us who have come to the living stone, Jesus who have now become the true nation of priests to our God and are being built into the true temple of our God. We are the ones who will offer spiritual sacrifices to God now because it is through Jesus Christ that acceptable worship is now to be given to God. So too on the other side side of this cornerstone text in the middle of our scripture, Peter packs in more of this truth about the people of God in verse 9 at the end. But you, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All of that language Peter is using, the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the people for God's own possession, the ones who were not a people but now are, the ones who had never received mercy but now have, all that language he's using is condensing down Old Testament scriptures into a powerful expansion and clarification of who the people of God are. These are not just random metaphors that Peter thought would be uh, good for us to hear and sound nice to our ears. They are biblical metaphors straight out of scripture that had formerly, of course, been used of God's people within the ancient nation of Israel that Peter is now explaining, now speak of us, us who have come to Christ. Once you see what Peter is doing here, capturing so much of that language around Israel in the Old Testament in just single words and phrases that he's pulling in here, what he's saying becomes powerfully clear, that we who are in Christ are now Israel. The true Israel, the spiritual Israel, the people of God in Jesus Christ which means that certain promises God had formerly made in Scripture to Israel may well have been made to us who are in Christ. Peter's giving us new eyes here to go back through and read Scripture anew. And in fact, everything that is to come for the people of God is surely for those who are in Christ to look forward to because they are the people of God. And all the promises of God find their yes in Christ, as the Apostle Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians 1. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Peter's grabbed from uh, all through the Old Testament promises of God in Scripture to craft those two bookends in verses 4 and 5 and and verses 9 and 10. He's grabbed from Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 10 and Hosea 1 and Hosea 2 and Hosea generally and Isaiah 43 and Isaiah 56 and 61 and 66 and Psalm 118. Peter is scooping up so much Scripture here with these words to put it all together for us in this one simple theology of the living stone and the living stones. Christ is the living stone upon whom everything is defined. We who have come to Christ to trust in him and obey him are now the living stones. We are the ones being built into the house of God. If you do get the chance to work through all the various scripture that, that, that Peter is bringing in here, you'll discover this. It's, it was written there long ago. You'll discover this great expansion that was promised from old, that both houses of Israel, Ephraim and Judah, and people from every other nation on earth will be fused together into one new people of God forever. It has been written of old, and the very basis on which that magnificent thing happens, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, who was crucified for our sin. 
The primary metaphor in the middle there, holding all these other glorious metaphors together, is that Jesus Christ is the living stone, the chosen and precious stone, the cornerstone on which it all hangs. He defines the people of God. And that the same stony metaphor is then picked up and and applied to us is, is just breathtaking if you think about it. It is spectacular and beautiful because stones, as you and I know it, do not live. They do not live. If there is one thing a stone does not do, it is live. And yet just as surely as Christ was raised from the dead, So too, we have been born into this living hope, Peter said at the start of the letter. A living hope through Christ's resurrection unto an inheritance set aside for us that can never be taken away. We, as he wraps up today's passage in the letter, we are the people of God. Once we weren't, but now we are. Because Jesus is literally doing Just what he once said, raising up new children of Abraham from once lifeless stones. There is great beauty. There is also great logic in what Peter is proclaiming here and what the scriptures of old that foretold all of this proclaim. If God is the one who placed this cornerstone, then of course that stone should be the thing to define those who belong to him and those who don't. It's logic. If God himself became this cornerstone in Jesus of Nazareth, then then of course our coming to Christ has also brought us to God. And if Christ is the cornerstone, then he must determine and shape the very building that follows. If Christ was put forward by God as our only means of salvation, then our salvation will only be found in him. And if our salvation will be found in him, then nothing else, friends, can rule us in or out of God's people. It is beautiful in its logic. Christ is the one stone that determines all others. This, my friends, is of God. And so there's also, therefore, a great connection in in what Peter's proclaiming here. If Christ is living, chosen, precious, then so too are we who are built upon him. Check and note that matching language Peter applies between Christ and his people in what he's explaining in these verses. Verse 4, Christ is the living stone. Verse 5, those who are in Christ, therefore, are also like living stones. Christ is chosen, verse 4. So too, verse 9, those who are in Christ are also chosen. Christ is precious, verse 4. Or as we might otherwise render the Greek word underneath that, Christ is held in high honour. And so too, verse 7, we in Christ are honoured. The connection is logical, that the things of Christ are in store for Christ's people too. 
The one cornerstone shapes and aligns all the other many stones who now belong to that stone and are being built into a new house upon that stone. He is chosen and so are we. He is honoured and so are we. He is the living stone and so too are we like living stones because we belong to Christ. We are in Christ. We're not just being saved by Christ, my friends, as as a people under God. Yes, of course that, but so much more. We, We are being bound into Christ, which is to be bound into God. All of which kind of helps us get a better fix on what we were thinking about last week in the passage just before this, about how, you know, now that God has made us holy, setting us aside for him, so too we will now become holy, as in pure, like him. Yes, this will happen, because yes, this is our logical destiny. Because how could we not be purified and refined and recut and realigned if we've been bound together and built upon him? The people of God are not just a a random building being built over there somewhere. They are people being built up on the cornerstone of Christ our God himself. It's glorious scripture truth. What Peter's teaching us here about the people of God as those being built up on Christ Jesus is is captured, of course, in other scriptures too, like Romans 9 or or Ephesians 2 or, or Hebrews 3. And the implications of this gospel truth are just massive because what it means for you and I today is that there is no other kind of building we need to think about. There is no second house of God somewhere to be distracted with. There is one cornerstone, and that cornerstone determines who is part of God's house and who isn't. So there's no reason for us to think about God's house and God's people, therefore, with any sense of division or or distinction or anything like that. There is neither Jew nor non-Jew anymore. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither this nor that. There is nothing but this one thing. There is those who belong to Christ and are part of God's house, and there are those who don't. There is one people of God, and they are comprised entirely of those who have come to the living stone, Jesus Christ, and put their trust and obedience in him. This is what Peter is saying in these words. So too, therefore, and even better so for you and I, from this powerful truth, you and I can know in our own hearts clearly whether we ourselves have yet been brought into the people of God. And if we aren't, how we can become one of the people of God, if that is in our destiny. We must come unto Jesus Christ and trust him and obey him. And when we have come to him, to trust him and obey him, to believe him, to follow him, then we can understand very well where we stand. That there is only but this one cornerstone placed by God and which God himself became. That rules out every other consideration, my friends. And it leaves no shadow of doubt. 
for it stands in Scripture. Peter says there, as if with joy, it stands in Scripture that this is God's plan and always has been for those who will come unto this stone. So too then, there's no way that that we won't be reshaped in our lives ahead by this cornerstone on which we are laid. Our our Saviour and our Lord, I mean, he is holy and we will be reshaped now like him. And out of all of this glorious truth, we should eventually, I think, ask the reason God has done this. Why has God placed this cornerstone and by that cornerstone started building us as new living stones into this house of which Peter speaks? Why? Well, verse 5 gave it to us. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So too in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. The reason God is building us into his house is that through us, he will be glorified. That we will serve him, worship him, tell forth how wonderful he is. How are we tracking on that, though, as Christians today? How are we tracking as a church? On that. This is a basic purpose statement for, for every Christian, isn't it? And, and for every Christian church. So, how are we tracking both individually uh, and together when it comes to proclaiming God's excellence and giving of ourselves to glorify Him in this world? We wrestled with that a little bit in our Equip Day yesterday. And maybe then from this scripture we're looking at today, I can put it to you again through these words of Peter. Put it to you to to think about and and wrestle with and and pray through over this week. How are we tracking in terms of glorifying God? For now, though, let me close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scripture in front of us today in this letter from Peter. We thank you for the clarity here in these verses about this cornerstone that you have placed and how you have saved us by this cornerstone and are building us on that stone into a house for you. Surely this is your doing and it is just marvellous in our eyes. Help us to reflect on this scripture and to reflect deeply and honestly through the week, Father, about how we can rise even more to your purpose in doing all this, that we should praise you and honour you and glorify you as your very own people whom you have saved. World without end, as that will be. And we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.